Good evening. You up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, can't get to sleep. We are in the right place. Because this is the podcast that puts you to sleep. Sleep with me. We're proud to present Game of Drones, our version of a Game of Thrones podcast that's made to help bore you to sleep. We do it with an episode destruction. I said that every fucking time. We do it with an episode discussion or dissection or whatever. All you need to do is get in bed, turn out the lights, and press play. We'll do the rest. Podcast is going to create a safe place where you can put aside all those little nasty little thoughtsies and that don't even deserve to be called thoughtsies because they're not nice, so they shouldn't have a pet name. Thought jerks is uh, what they should be called. We're going to distract you from that. As the podcast goes on, it's going to get a little bit more and more boring. Soon you're going to find yourself drifting off into dreamland. Tonight we're going to talk about uh, Game of Thrones Season 4, Episode 5. First of his name is the name of the episode. You can find older episodes at www.sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. Quick aside, if you don't watch Game of Thrones, but you like this podcast, don't worry. It's still going to be boring. I'm going to cover topics that are uh, universal. There will be spoilers, but there'll be uh, boring spoilers. Spoiler alert, this podcast is dull. (laughs) Here's a real spoiler alert. Uh, Most of the Game of Drones podcasts are ending with prayers to the new gods. Old gods, I'm not on their good side yet. I'm going to might work on it soon. But yeah, so we're on the web, sleepwithmepodcast.com slash drones. You can get a hold of me, feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. I think that feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. On Twitter, at Dearest Scooter, where I like to post uh, sleep-related news. And Facebook, at some point, will have more spoilers. Or not spoilers, fucking spoiler brain. Uh, we'll have more bloopers. See, that was like a, you got a blooper there. You weren't even on Facebook. That's it, I think. My, my, my head just started hurting, but whatever. It's time to do the podcast. I, don't got, I mean, I don't have time to worry about my head, right? All right, so it's another episode of Game of Drones, the Game of Thrones podcast that puts you to sleep. And we're talking about First of His Name, Season 4, Episode 5. Spitting there, Season 4, Episode 5. We got, we got a bit to cover tonight, so I'm going to get right to it. We're going to do our run-through of the episode. We're going to talk a little bit about the crone up front, for those of you who have stuck around for my praying to the crone for riches and fame. Talk a little bit about Peter Baelish. We'll, 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 we'll quickly talk about patting on the back. We're going to talk about debt. We're going to talk about the hound and his problem with greasy hair, which led me to think about greasers with greasy hair. Greasers have greasy hair. We're going to do some little poetry session, poetry for kids. I'm going to talk walnuts. I mean, what? What? I mean, that's what Game of Thrones was a Twitter about, right? Uh, uh, two months ago when this episode came out, it was walnuts. Everybody was talking about walnuts. We're going to talk about walnuts. We're going to touch on the musical from last episode because I missed two of the songs from the musical. And the, the, well, I didn't miss them. I withheld them. Spoiler, a spoiler-proof 
Um, there, there were songs that came up in this episode for the musical that you might have, may or may not have been awake for last episode. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk a little bit about the themes. And this was a, a themey episode in a good way. Or maybe not. I, I thought so. So we're going to talk a little bit about some themes that are coming up in this episode. And that's it. You should be asleep by then. I hope you are. Maybe you're asleep already. Let's get on to the, uh, let's get on to the doldum. All right. So first in the name was the title of the episode. And um, that's like something when I watched the episode, when I was going through the notes that I took, it's like first of his name. What, why is it called first of its, his name? I know Tommen ascends to king throne. And that's part of the thing. They say, you know, Lord of the Andals and the first men, first of his name. But why would, why did they choose that as the episode title? Something to think about and, I, and something to email me about or tweet me about. Feedback at sleepingthepodcast.com uh, at Dear Scooter if you have an opinion because I don't think I have a conclusive answer. But obviously the people at HBO, Weiss Benioff and their wonderful, wonderful staff and crew chose that title for a reason, probably for a good reason. So that's one thing. Let's go. Let's see. So we, uh, oh, oh, lordy, lordy, lordy. So as soon as the episode opens, my, uh, I'm devastated because I hear in the thing, the Septon saying, or I think it was the Septon. He says, oh, the crone, he says something to the crone in that she knows the fate of all men. And if you're a hardcore listener, you know, I've been praying to the crone. Crone, what's up? I'll, I'll talk to you at the end of the episode, but why, why? You knew my fate, you know the fate of all men, and you let me pray to you and look like a fool on this podcast? I'm apologizing, but, well, you would have known I'm going to lose my temper with you, Crone. So we'll talk after the episode. But, uh, yeah, that was really shocking to me as a as a person who could have potentially praised the Crone and only the Crone above all other gods. Uh, you know, what, what, okay, let's keep moving. Oh, Mace, Mace Tyrell. What the, what's wrong with this guy? He's, he's a boob, right? And I Googled what's wrong with Mace Tyrell. Nothing nothing good came up. Stuff about him came up, but no clear answers. He, uh, he, he's just, oof, what a, what a, what, I like how they keep him in the background. If you're watching over, he's doing, I guess it, he's not photobombing. But he's in the background. He's just acting like a dumb dummy in the background of of shots all the time. And I think Tywin said something mean about him, but I can't remember what it is. So a lot of um, Cersei gets into a lot of heavy talk this episode. It, it makes you wonder what's up with Cersei. What's what's happening? What's going to happen? She talks about uh, her and Marjorie are talking. You know, who was the last decent king? Hopefully he, Tom and will be for all the horrors that put him there. And I was like, is Cersei trying to make an alliance with Marjorie here? Like, I don't trust Cersei. I mean, don't trust Marjorie either, but she's a softer around the edges. Marjorie uh, does, does, pulls a little Cersei. She gives Cersei a little, uh, one of those fake punches where you fake one hand and you hit him with the other. She says, uh, yeah, I won't know to call you uh, sister or mother. And I'm not even sure I could dissect the joke, uh, but it, 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 it was funny. It was funny just watching her and watching Cersei and saying, you got owned home. Cer- 
Do they see people say owned anymore? Owned. Cersei was owned. Boom, with a P, like that's sticking out like a tongue, Cersei. Butcher name Cleon. Uh, they talk about he took back one of these cities that uh, our Khaleesi had freed. Yeah, I said our Khaleesi. Because I'm not going to say their Khaleesi. That's offensive. Our Khaleesi. I mean, like, she could come burn me with the dragons. So our Khaleesi freed this one city. I forget which one it was. Uh, but uh, this butcher named Cleon took it over. Or Cleon, a butcher. I think he was an actual butcher. Like, it's a butcher in the uh, sense that he's a bad man. But then it made me think. Again, I didn't have time to research this one. But Elton John had a song. I think it's in Levon. Levon lives on falls of Levon says it's going to the mailbox. You better be Levon. And I don't know. I'm honest. I'm being honest, 100%. Crossing my heart to the crone, honest. Is it Levon, L-E-V-O-N? Or is it like leave on? I love I love the the sweet dulcet tones of Elton John's voice. Believe me, but uh, I wasn't sure. You better believe on. I can't even sing. I can't do Elton John. I can't even. I can't. It's not even sounding like Elton John to me. And I'm trying to sing it, but you better believe on. I know. It's, I'm sorry, folks. Hopefully, you're asleep or. You've passed on. Uh, something to look up if, if anybody's an Elton John fan. I'm I'm a Elton John, a, a liker of Elton John. Not, I guess I would be. I'm not Elton John fan. I guess, but I, well, a fan would actually have some knowledge. So I guess I'm not a fan. Uh, but sorry. Um, I know he wore a duck suit at one time. But yeah. So anybody knows anything about this Levon song? Hopefully, I can put it in the show notes. I like this line, I will do what queens do. But she doesn't elaborate. It's like she's going to rule, motherfucker. Khaleesi's going to rule. She's going to drop the hammer on this butcher name. Cleon. He's gonna, he better be leaving on because the seven brothers of uh, Astapor or whatever, seven signs, whatever that guy's in. Guy looks a little bit like Noel Wiley. Did you notice that? The new, the new dude who replaced the other dude from the Brotherhood. or No, it's not the Brotherhood Without Banners. It's the Seven, I don't know, Seven Riders of Dorn or something he's in. But uh, he looks a bit like Noah Wiley. And uh, not to go on a Noah Wiley tangent, because, again, I like Noah Wiley. Uh, you know who, who every once in a while look like Noah Wiley? True Detective. Matthew McConaughey in True Detective. Every once in a while the camera would catch him a certain way. Like, is that Noah Wiley or Matthew McConaughey? So another thing to think about, this is yeah, this podcast is going through a reconnaissance, I guess, because I keep talking about Matthew McConaughey. I guess maybe I wish, pardon me, I'm not even jealous of him. Well, maybe, I, maybe I'm not envious of him. Maybe I'm just healthily jealous of him because he has such an ease with life. And maybe we could, uh, let's just uh, invoke the spirit of Matthew McConaughey here. And just relax us a minute. Okay, and then we better get on with the show. Got the bloody gate to the eerie. I don't know if they hadn't supposed to have a sexual 
uh, connotation to it or not. But stuff gets sexual after that. Like, um, so Baelish gives uh, Peter, I think that kid's name, the bratty kid. Oh, Robin is his name, not Peter. Peter's Peter Baelish, dummy. Uh, he gives him a glass toy. Only, only the little finger would give some kid a glass. What do you? What's wrong with you, bro? Even this kid that's even this nasty kid, this kid that's a mess, Robin. You can't be giving him a a glass toy. Now, lucky you give it to a kid that throws his toys away. So maybe you knew that, but still, why would you? Then why would you spend money on a glass toy? Why don't you get a uh, toy made of straw or sticks? They probably poke someone's eye out. And when you're at work, here's a free not safe for work tip that I made mistakenly. Again, uh, and you're on your lunch break where you're still on your work computer. Don't search for glass toys. I was I, I was like, oh, there's at least a chance that a, like maybe a, a, some mental floss article or slate article or something would come up about the history of glass toys. No, it don't don't search don't search just. It's not anything graphic or disgusting, but just don't do it at work or in front of your kids. Because, you know, glass toys are, uh, you know, whatever. I don't got to tell you. Could definitely do a lot of uh, podcasting about that kid, Robin, but I don't want to get into it. He's probably had a rough life. He definitely has. He's sickly in some way, mentally and physically. Um, Sansa, quick tip when Peter Baelish and your aunt are having crazed sex, takes take, you, you left your candles on one. How are you going to fall asleep with the candles in there? Or maybe you do need, I don't know, maybe they don't have matches, so she keeps one. But uh, take a little candle wax, roll it up in a ball bigger than your ear hole, stick them in your ear, Sansa. Pro tip. Pro tip straight from... Dear Scooter, Sleep With Me podcast to Sansa. Sansa Stark, who uh, could have used some wax in her ears at that moment. So there you go, Sansa. You can thank me later. You know, when you're when you're transforming, you could thank me for sure. Uh, Tywin talks about a fortnight. Fortnight's 14 days. I had to look that up. But uh, I was like, is that 28 days? Is it 32 days? Baker's dozen. Chef's dozen. No, it's 14 days. I love this. I love Ty. Again, I guess I'm a Taiwan fan as far as Charles Dance's delivery of jokes. But he says, you know, I didn't like your husband much. He used to pat me on the back a lot. He used to pat me on the back a lot. So that, that was funny to me. And then they're in debt. That'll come up. Hate's a good thing than any to keep you, uh, keep you going. I don't know if that's true, Hound. Let me get into this whole sweet cakes, honey cakes, uh, Aunt Lysa and Sansa and Littlefinger triangle, and uh, poor Sansa. She's, she actually is the example of getting out of the frying pan and into the fire type situations. She has, she's she got that down. And she, she uh, oh, good news, you're going to marry Robin. Oh, wait, oh, I, I get to marry the boy that's still suckling at your breast, crazy aunt, with the... Uh, there's something off about you and your kid, like you've never seen the sun anywhere ever, and it looks like you subside on skim milk and uh, whatever, honey cakes, I don't know. Great. Had a nice scene with Podrick on a horse. 
a great scene. But pa- and, uh, and then Padraig cooking a rabbit and uh, Brianne and and uh, Padraig, he, this guy just keeps going. He, he, Padraig is like good hearted. Wow. What a good heart on this character, this guy. And she says, you know, what if I just fire you and you tell you to leave? So what do they say about you? Say I wasn't a very good squire because I'm not, you know, squiring you. And we got the hound talking about the greasy-haired Bravosi. We got Oberon and Cersei with poetry. I had another line in there. Uh, I think it was Tywin and Cersei remaining. Uh, we'll have a trial and learn the truth. And says, Well, we'll have a trial at least or something like that. We'll have a trial anyway, I think Tywin says. And then uh, Oberon, back to Oberon, 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 and uh, Cersei says, we don't hurt little girls in Dorne. And Cersei says, uh, "You, they hurt little girls everywhere. Everywhere in the world they hurt little girls. Important line, I think, okay? So we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. Brienne says, I've been re- removing my own armor for quite some time. Thank you very much. That says it all, man. Brienne, you got to let somebody else take your armor off, baby. You know, you got to loosen up. And I I heard, I mean, I think it was last season, spoiler alert, Podrick is quite the lover, uh, it turns out. So maybe against all odds, if Podrick and Brienne sleep together, that would be against all odds. But uh, Podrick is either, he's good in the bedroom, as from from what the uh, prostitutes say. And then we have a bunch of stuff go down at Craster's Keep. Main image, I mean, we'll talk a little bit about it, but main image in my mind from it is that there was blood on Hordor's hands, and he looks at that, and he you know, says, Hordor, of course, but Hordor, Hodor, Hordor, I don't know. I don't do a Hordor. I have trouble pronouncing Hordor. Hodor, Hordor, I don't even know if it's Hordor or Hodor, so Hodor, I think. But yeah, he has blood on his hands. I thought that was a nice image. And that, if you're still awake, that's it for the rundown of the episode. Let's get on to the uh, real boring stuff. All right, so I want to look into this Peter Baelish character. So I went over to our buddies over at uh, a Wiki of Fire and Ice or a Wiki of Ice and Fire. Be in the show notes. And I looked up a little history because I'd forgotten that Peter Baelish had dueled with uh, Brandon Stark. So I was like, whoa, buddy. Forgot about that. But yeah, how did Pete... So let's, let's get in some Wiki of Fire and Ice. Uh, yeah, let's, let's get into some history here. Peter Baelish's great-grandfather was a Bravosi sellsword in the service of Lord Corbray. I wonder if he was greasy-haired. Hound. And I mean, Hound, your hair is greasier than anybody, so I don't know what you're talking about. Uh with the greasy hair, offensive stuff. Uh, when his son became a hedge knight, he took the stone of the Titan of Bravos as a sigil. That's a good, st- st- the, the stone head of the Titan of Bravos as a sigil. Uh, Lord Baelish's father was uh, the smallest of the small lords, a few rocky acres on the smallest of the figures, befriended Hoster Tully, and then that War of the Nine Penny Kings, which led to Peter being sent to River Run to be fostered with Lord Tully's children. That was a bad idea. River Run, real bad idea for the Tullys. At River Run, Peter was fostered as ward and raised alongside his social betters. 
And I would say probably, well, Lysa, not exactly his behavior. Maybe the Tully children aren't exactly. Edmir is, I wonder, never mind. We don't want to get into Edmir. Uh, we live with uh, Caitlin, Lysa, and Edmir, who Edmir gave him the name of Littlefinger in reference to his family's tiny holdings. As he grew older, Peter fell in love with Caitlin, who loved him as a brother no more. When she got betrothed to uh, Brandon Stark, Peter challenged him in a duel. Much older, probably stronger, bigger guy. And Brandon won handily, leaving Baelish with a scar. I'd like to get into that at some point, someday. Because that's pretty brave and pretty un-Baelish-like. And then Caitlin got him to spare his life, Peter's life. And then she stopped speaking to him. Typical. Uh, and she didn't even read. She burned the letter that Peter sent her after his death. The rest of it's kind of in the episode, but, uh, and we've talked about Lord Baelish a lot. Uh, he's an interesting character, well played, and uh, a, a pleasure to see on the screen. And also a scumbag. Turns out, again, like Padraig, hey, Brienne, if you're looking for if, uh, things with Padraig don't work out and you do end up at River Run, how about a roll in the sack with Peter Baelish? I think Padraig's a little more solid. Uh, so if you're, you know, Bright Brienne, if you're looking at me, this is, I'm not trying to match, I'm not matchmaker, matchmaker. This is purely, uh, you know, because of that subtle line you tried to sneak past me. You can't sneak it past me. I, I've, uh, I've got plenty of experience taking off my own armor, whatever you said. It means you're lonely. Saw the way you looked at Jamie Lannister. And so did Cersei. Okay? So, you're not fooling anybody. So, it's, that's it. You don't have a choice. Peter Baelish or Podrick. And I, you'd probably kill Baelish. I mean, because he's, he's everything you're not. He's a, you're, you're very pure and honest, forthright. He's not. Podrick is too. And, and not to go on a Podrick tangent, but... Padraig's like a nice, nice balance of trying to be helpful versus aiming to please. Padraig seems like he's not always, he doesn't seem like he's worried about pleasing people. He seems like he's more worried about being helpful. That's a subtle difference. But if you're looking for a squire or a trusted um, peon, like when he was working for Tyrion, you know, important thing to look out for if you're looking for a peon. No offense, Podrick, but you're a good peon, great peon. Okay, let's move on from Peter Baelish. The next up is this debt thing. Now, I did some research, and in the episode, it's like the uh, Iron Bank of Bravos kind of controls the money lending, or at least they have the most gold to lend. And the Lannisters and the crop, I mean, that that kingdom is is deeply in debt to the Iron Bank to pay for their wars. And that made me, like, wonder, now, USA is in deep debt, but then you hear stuff about the debt and the deficit. And I got a basic understanding, like, if I owe my credit card, I'm in debt. And if, I, if, if I'm spending more than I'm bringing in, that's like a deficit, I think. But I don't, like, I don't really, never really understood the whole, again, this is simplistic childlike thinking that goes on in my mind, but I've heard it said before. 
He's like, yeah, why don't we just not pay whoever we owe the money to? And it's like, well, then we can't get money. Like, when did we get so in debt that we couldn't, you know, I don't understand that part of it. This isn't like a political statement, but I did some research. I guess I'm going to crowdsource this one out because it's like uh, I looked for simplistic answers for people like me. And it's like, okay, well, the, I mean, this is my understanding of it, is that, you know, starting right away, because we had the the Revolutionary War, for all wars, just like Taiwan, maybe Taiwan's the best person. Maybe they should they should do a video with Charles Dance explaining debt, or maybe he did. And I guess I just am trying to overcomplicate it because ours is more cloaked than the Iron Bank, and this one is just like you owe the Iron Bank or you don't. They're coming for their money, or whatever. Uh, but it's like okay, so we had to pay for the war eighteen twelve, probably like the French. There's like a war over beaver pelts. I'm not sure if that was a, which war that was, French-O, French, French-English war, something like that. Austria-Hungary was involved in some of this. Then we had the Alamo stuff and a bunch of civil war. That cost a bunch of money. Yeah, so we had to borrow money because it's like you're not making money if you're fighting a war. Hmm. Yeah, this is this is seriously boring stuff. I have tons of research about it, yeah, but we got enough to get through this tonight without we got enough boring stuff. But let's see, government debt is a debt owned by a central government, um, by you know, as opposed to deficit. We know what that means. Government debt is a method of uh, this is from Wikipedia financing government operations, but it's not the only method. Governments can create money to monetize their debts. So government draws income from much of the population. Government debt is an indirect debt of the taxpayers. Government debt can be categorized as internal debt owed to lenders in the country, external debt. That's one thing I don't understand. So if somebody's going to clarify for me, like our external debt and our internal debt, you telling me we owe, I mean, this would kind of Wall Street, Main Street, you're telling me we're in debt to these, these fat cats? That's going to be, I mean, I might have to design my own Iron Bank of Bravos and start a Bravosian people. And then, like, when they say we're in debt to China or something, or there's something on Wikipedia, uh, no, it was on HuffPo, Huffington Post about top 10 countries we owe debt to, or maybe it's Forbes. And I was like, oh, we owe, like, Luxembourg and Switzerland and, you know, do we owe the country China or do we owe individuals in China or banks like private? I don't, I don't understand any of that. So, uh, let's see. Okay. Let's do some history. During the early modern era, English monarchs would also default on their loans or refuse to pay them back. They didn't have the Iron Bank to deal with, I guess. This made uh, financiers wary of lending to kings and finances of countries. And things were often at war and volatile. The creation of the first central bank in England, an institution designed to lend to the government, was came up with by William III of England for a war against France. He engaged in a syndicate of city traders and merchants to offer sale for sale, an issue of government debt. 
soon became the Bank of England, financing the wars of the Duke of Marlborough and later Imperial Conquests. Okay, so that was fat cats uh, paying for uh, imperialism. Again, no, no doubt that's just a fact. I mean, well, the fat cat part I added. Um... Okay, I just looked through the rest of my notes, pages and pages of it. It's, like, so dull. But, yeah, so debt. It's, uh, I guess it would be easier, uh, in some sense, more tangible if if you just, like, uh, if the USA, there's some companies that are, or some countries that are worse off than the USA. I mean, we owe the most, it looks like, but as a percentage of GDP, gross domestic product, we're not in the worst shape. And per person, we don't owe the most either. But it'd be more tangible if it'd be like, okay, well, the Iron Bank of Bravos is going to come get a couple of these politicians and take them because we're going to pay the debt. Uh, and it would make it quicker for them to raise taxes or figure out, give them a reason to solve it. It feels like right now, um, well, I don't even know. I don't know anything about banking, so I should just, let's just move on, okay? And those of you banking fans, debt fans, and do some research. Send it my way. Charles Dance, if you happen to be listening. And, uh, you know, why don't you uh, do some reporting for the podcast on uh, debts and this International Monetary Fund and Central Banks and this Bank of England history. All right, Mr. Dance, thank you. And let's move on now. Next up uh, is... uh, when the hound was kind of going off about Bravosi and calling him greasy-haired sea bombs, he was he. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, remember Greasers, Grease, uh, the musical. We had the Outsiders. We have fun, an American pop culture. Okay, for international listeners, a little American pop culture. We're gonna go take a little quick little drive down pop culture row. So I was like, oh, what's all this greaser? When did this greaser stuff start? Did it start with the Bravosi? So I did some research. Again, on my, I don't do all my research on Wikipedia, so, uh, but the greaser stuff I did. So greasers, got a lot here. Uh, Peter Baelish. Greasers were a youth subculture originated in the 1950s and teenagers in the North and South. They liked rock and roll music. Was the rock and roll music around in the 50s? It's a major part of their culture, influenced by Elvis, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, Richie Valens, and two main figures of the look, the greaser look, were Marlon Brando and James Dean. In the 50s and 60s, these youth could have been known as hoods because they were from working-class neighborhoods. And this is from Wikipedia, so take it with a grain of salt. The name greaser came from their grease back hairstyles. Again, it doesn't tell us why they're greasing their hair back, but maybe because they liked cars? I don't know. But uh, they would use wax, gel, creams, pomade, tonic. The term greaser reappeared in later decades as part of a revival of 50s popular culture. One of these was in a 7-Up commercial in 71, and then the band Sha Na Na, and then you had uh, 
other stuff. Although the Grease Cub subculture was a North America phenomenon, there was also subcultures in the UK, Australia, Italy, Japan, Sweden, Germany, South Africa. The British equivalent was the Rocker. The Rocker, also known as the Tun-Up Boy. They liked bikes. Americans liked cars or uh, vans. Yeah, so that's interesting. A lot of this is, I mean, a couple more parts of it don't even seem. Typical hairstyles, could the pompadour, the duck's ass, the duck's ass, S-curls, finger waves, afros, shaped like pompadours, comb back, fulsome style, held in place by the brill cream, etc. They liked, again, this is all over the place, greaser was, oh, influence on punk and heavy metal, leather subculture. Leather jacket was popularized in World War II, and then they wore that. Popular movies, Wild One, Rebel Without a Cause, The Outsiders, The Birth of the Motorcycle. The Birth of the Motorcycle Outlaw uh, emerged from the 47 Hollister Riot in 1947, July. The dog does not like the Hollister Riot. 4,000 motorcycles gathered in Hollister, California. To watch motorcycle races for the weekend, the partying became crazy, and people were arrested. Exaggerated media reports gave birth to the outlaw motorcycle image, and this was the influence for the wild one starling Brando in 1953. It was arguably the first true greaser film, as opposed to the faux greaser films like, uh, whatever, I don't know. Bike Boy and uh, Grease Face. James Dean represented greaser culture, greaser culture in 55 Rebel Without a Cause. Dean became an uh, icon like Brando of rebellious youth. In the film, the character is portrayed as an outcast trying to fit in with his peers. Now, how come I feel like an outcast trying to fit in with my peers, but uh, I'm not cool like this? He wore a red leather jacket and reinforced the notion of individualism within the social boundaries of the Greecher culture. Well, I'm you know, trying to, I'm trying to, yeah, I'm trying to be an individual, boring one. Dean epitomized youth search for identity during the 50s. Yeah, I found my identity. It's being boring. You got Greece, then you have Fonzie which was on Happy Days from 74 to 84. Greasers must... I wonder what Greasers thought of, like, Fonzie and Grease, the movie. There's not much about The Outsiders. I'd say Outsiders is pretty sweet. What about uh, Quadrophenia? Huh? How come that's not mentioned here on Wikipedia? It's like biker-related kind of mods. I don't know. So that's it. That's it on the Greaser, greaser tip. I take my ducks and <laughs> Let me take my duck's ass and get out of here. Next up, we had uh, Oberon, Oberon of Dorne, Prince Oberon Martell, I think. No, if it's Mace Martell, is it the Mar- No, I don't know. Is it the Martells, Prince Oberon Martell? Um, he was doing writing some poetry for his daughter, his fifth daughter out of eight, I think. And I was like, oh, maybe I can make up some fake poetry that he was writing, but I don't want to make fun of him. One of my favorite characters. 
Pedro Pascal, as I can think of the actor's name. Fine, fine job. So I didn't want to denigrate. Uh, I didn't want to denigrate. I'm not even being tongue-in-cheek. So then I looked up some kids' poetry online. I'm going to read you some poems. And I'm going to drop a little subtext in there through the poetry. Okay. All right, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to read some poetry. Uh, no joke. Uh, this first one's The Tiger by William Blake. Tiger by William Blake. Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night. What immortal hand or eye could frame thy fearful symmetry? In what distant deeps or skies burnt the fire of thine eyes? On what wings dare he aspire? What the hand dare seize the fire? In what shoulder and what art could twist the snooze of thy heart? And when thy heart began to beat, what dread hand and what dread feet? What the hammer, what the chain, in what furnace was thy brain? What the anvil, what dread grasp, dare its, dare its deadly terrors clasp? Dare its deadly terrors clasp? When the stars threw down their spears and wasted heaven with their tears, did he smile his work to see? Did he who made the lamb make thee? Tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forests of the night. What immortal hand or eye dare frame thy fearful symmetry? I know symmetries. Symmetry. Symmetry. And maybe it's in a, <clears throat> pronounced differently there. All right, this next one is called The Fisherman by Abby Farwell Brown. Fisherman goes out at dawn when everyone's abed, and from the bottom of the sea draws up his daily bread. His life is strange, half on the shore and half upon the sea. Not quite a fish, and yet not quite the same as you and me. A fisherman has curious eyes that make you feel so queer, as if they had seen many things of wonder and of fear. They like the sea on foggy days, not gray, nor yet quite blue. They like the wondrous tales he tells, not quite, yet maybe true. He knows so much of boats and tides, of winds and clouds and sky. But when I tell of city things, he sniffs and shuts one eye. That was The Fisherman by Abby Firewell Brown. And this one, this last one, you wouldn't believe it. This is by uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. It's called The Mountain and the Squirrel. I'm going to say that again. It's called The Mountain and the Squirrel, Game of Thrones fans, by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And listen closely. The Mountain and the Squirrel had a quarrel, and the former called the latter Little Prig. Bun replied, You are doubtless very big, but all sorts of things and weather must be taken in together to make up a year and a sphere. I think it no disgrace to occupy my place. I'm not so large as you. You're not so small as I, and not half so spry. I'll not deny you make a very pretty squirrel track 
Tail and stiffer, all is well and wisely put. If I cannot carry force on my back, neither you can crack a nut. Let's try that again. The mountain and the squirrel had a quarrel, and the former called the latter little prig. Bun replied, you are doubtless very big, but all sorts of things add wet, but all sorts of things in weather must be taken in together to make up a year in a sphere, and I think it no disgrace to occupy my place. I'm not so large as you. You are not so small as I, and not half so spry. I'll not deny you make a very pretty squirrel track. Talents differ. All is well and wisely put. If I cannot carry forests on my back, neither can you crack a nut. Boom. Mountain and the Squirrel by Ralph. Motherfucking Waldo Emerson. And that's uh, Poetry Corner. Brought to you by Sunspear. All right, so now's the moment you've all been waiting for. Walnuts. We're going to talk about walnuts. Because Locke says he's going to carve up the people, the traders, like walnut pie. I was like, walnut pie? I've heard of pecan pie. Uh, but I've never heard of walnut pie. And then I was like, do you carve? Is carving up walnut pie, I, I assume it's easy. Because Locke made it sound easy. So I decided to do some research on walnuts and walnut pie for you guys. Now, quick note. I'm not saying never but I cannot recall ever eating a piece of pecan pie. Pecan, pecan pie. I don't know, there's something about the... I'm usually pretty open to tasting things, and I am uh, I think after reading all this, I'm going to make a walnut or pecan or walnut and pecan pie. But yeah, I'm not, I don't know that I've ever eaten a piece of pecan pie that I know about. Just because I don't know the whole... I like pecans, pecans, I think. But I don't know, the whole consistency actually I like pumpkin pie especially whipped cream so then I'm usually like why mess with pecan pie or pecan pie so yeah just a little self disclosure but let's read about uh, walnuts this is from uh, whfoods.com their walnut page what's new and beneficial about walnuts researchers are convinced more than ever the nutritional benefits of walnuts when consumed in whole form including the skin. We now know that approximately 90% of the phenols in walnuts are in the skin, key phenolic acids, tannins, and flavonoids. Flavonoids, flavonoids, flavonoids. Love saying that. Some websites encourage you to move the skin the wrong, blah, blah, blah. The form of vitamin E found in walnuts is unusual, particularly beneficial. Instead of having it in the alpha trophophoral form, walnuts provide unusual high in the gamma tocophoral. And that's good for cardiovascular health and stuff. Most UF adults have yet to discover the benefits of walnuts. A recent study, they don't say what they mean by recent, it says only 5.5% of adults consume nuts of any kind, tree nuts of any kind. It's nuts. Ba boom. I'll be here for the next 15 minutes. Uh, That was a, just delete that part too. Yeah, so tree nuts, you should put them in your diet, 1.25 ounces a day. It's got potassium, calcium, magnesium, vitamin E. Many of us uh, can go local for walnuts. 
phytonutrient research and antioxidant and anti-inflammatory benefits of walnuts has moved the food further up the ladder of foods that are protective against metabolic syndrome, cardiovascular problems, and type 2 diabetes. So you should be in the... That, maybe this is why um, Locke is so spry, because he eats a lot of walnut pie. Walnuts are part of the tree nut family, which includes Brazil nuts, cashew nuts, hazelnuts, or filberts, macadamia nuts, pecans, pine nuts, pistachios, and walnuts. It's difficult to overestimate the benefits of uh, eating walnuts. All right, let's go on to Wikipedia. There are two major species of walnuts for their seeds, the Persian or English walnut and the black walnut. English walnut originated in Persia, and black walnut is native to eastern North America. Black walnut is high in flavor due to its hard shell and poor hulling. It's not grown commercially for nut production. I wonder, the ones like my grandparents used to have a lot of walnuts, but they had the shell with the cracker. Etymology, the word walnut is, comes from the Germanic wall in the Old English meaning foreign nut. <laughs> if I come to England, you guys can call me the foreign nut, foreign nut, or Germany. You guys, let me know what that is in your language. Well, in English, it should just be foreign nut. Uh, top producing countries are China at 1.7 million tons, I think. Iran, 450,000, or million or billion. U.S. 425, Turkey 194, Mexico 110, Ukraine 96, India 40, and on and on. Worldwide production's increasing. Uh, you get about three metric tons per hectare. Hec, hec, hectare. I don't know if that's a metric system. Remember, the Khaleesian and went to the metric system, so be careful. All right, let's go over a walnut pie recipe. This is from, uh, oh, wait, first of all, this is from Straight, straight Dope Boards. And people were talking about the bitterness in walnuts and what to do about it. Uh, you can take the skin off, according to this dude. You just, uh, what does he say, place the nuts in uh, water, bring it to a boil, and take the skin off, but the skin's good for you. Or you can uh, candy the nuts. According to this guy, you know, whatever, make them, make them, just look up candied walnuts. Now here's uh, this, this, uh, this walnut pie recipe is from allrecipes.com. It's submitted by Vivian and the photo is by Christina. And it's from her grandmother's woman's club would hold bake sales and this pie was always a hit. Here's what you need, three eggs. This will be in the show notes, you don't got to write it down. Quarter teaspoon salt, three quarter cup white sugar, two teaspoons vanilla extract, three quarter cup light corn syrup, cup chopped walnuts, quarter cup butter, and a pie crust nine incher. Preheat your oven to 400 degrees, meet the eggs in a bowl, mix in the sugar, salt, vanilla, and corn syrup, melt the butter, whisk it into the egg mixture, stir in the nuts, and pour it in the pie shell, bake in the oven for 10 minutes. Reduce heat to 300 degrees and bake for 35 to 40 minutes. Boom. That's it. Walnut pie. Carving it, making it easier than carving it up. So I will be have I, I, um, I don't always make promises on this podcast, but I think I'm going to make a walnut pie this, this weekend. 
I think I have everything but the walnuts and the crust. I think I have corn syrup. So, yeah, I don't know what you guys are doing with your weekend, but I'm going to kick back with some walnut pie. Rad. All right, real quick, uh, Carl Tanner musical we talked about last episode, uh, Legend of Gin Alley. Now, no lawsuits have been filed yet for people trying to steal that musical from me. But there's two songs I was holding out on. One is like when he meets this woman he falls in love with. It comes up in this episode again, subtle, subtle move. But he says, I love a girl with curls that adds a touch of class. That's one of the songs, A Girl with Curls. is like after he falls in love for the first time, he sings that. A girl with curls. How's it go? I can't remember. Um, touch of class. A girl with curls. And in my heart, it's spinning in swirls. Because I know that I'm... Something like that. I think a touch of class. A girl with curls. She's got this cold heart spinning in swirls. Carl Tanner, you are in trouble. Something, something like that, but it's like, bom, 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 you know, build that bom. A touch of curls, a girls in curls, and girls in curls, a lots of girls, the curls in curls, and class and worlds. Something like that. So that was one number that we didn't have. And then another number when he's facing out Jon Snow is uh, something about free men. You'll never know what it's like to be free. That was another one of the heartbreak songs. Um, now I got to touch a girl with curls in my hair. In my hair. In my head. Uh, but, uh, so I don't know. It's, you know I don't know. But you can imagine it's one of those heart-wrenching songs. So there's two songs from the Carl Tanner musical that you'd want to know about probably if you're a big uh, fan of Carl Tanner, which no one should be. But if you want to see a tragedy featuring Carl Tanner, and the, I'll, I'll tell you a little more about the musical because we have a week away from it, is that it is a tragedy. It's a tale of uh, he's one of those unredeemables, and it's a tale of him hoping that's not true, that he's irredeemable. The whole musical is about him wishing, like, it starts out with him doing something irredeemable because he thinks he's irre- or knows he's irredeemable. And the whole musical and everything spins around the fact that he just wishes it wasn't true, that he's irredeemable. Uh, and he, he's almost, he doesn't even have the energy to fight against it, but part of him wants to have hope. Um, sad musical, sad tragedy. But so that's a Carl Tanner musical. Now, to take you back, upbeat, how uh, uplifting was it at the very end of the episode when uh, Jon Snow sees his uh, dog or his wolf? He says, oh, seven. What does he say? Where in seven hells come here? He says it was so, where in seven hells come here? And I was like, man, I wish I was his best friend right now. He was saying that to me. He says, like, he makes this sound. Something like that. I'm backing way up from the mic. So Uh, so that's something. 
well, it's almost time for us to close out, but I wanted to talk a little bit about um, like this whole, you know, women getting hurt and the and Cersei saying, you know, nowhere in the world don't they hurt little girls, and then Craster's Keep, where that's all they did was hurt these little girls, and and they have Arya and the Hound, this this repeating theme. And then thinking about what are they going to do with Crash's Keep? They're going to burn it to the ground. And then what are the women going to do? Like, are they? Where are they going to go? I think I had a better point than that, but uh, I don't know. Did and then just the episode's the first of his name. I still don't. Still not there yet. But uh, I like that theme. I like Cersei when she's talking truth, and she's mad um, about an actual issue: women's rights as opposed to drinking wine and, you know, picking on little bird. Um, another thing I thought was nice uh, that struck me is that, okay, you have uh, the hound, right? When Joffrey was king, the hound was his, like, bodyguard. and now So the hound, Joffrey and the hound, and now you have Tommen, his bodyguard, Sir Pounce. So... <laughs> Talk about, is that on purpose? That's the best. I mean, if George R. R. Martin, let me know. Uh, is that on purpose? So you have Joffrey and the Hound, Tommen and Sir Pounce. And then to extend it, it's like you have the Hound, and then you have Arya, who is kind of like Senorita Pounce, and her Bravosi teacher, whose name escapes me at this moment. He was like Sir Pounce. Because that's the kind of bravosi water dancing style of fighting. Sir Pounce would probably be a water dancer, a bravosi swordsman with greasy hair. The hound is more of a, a basher. So, just an interesting image of the, I mean, the wonderfulness of having Arya and the hound together. But it's also like, oh yeah, it's kind of like Sir Pounce and the hound are hanging out a little bit. So I just thought of that. Uh, so that's it. I've got one more thing. I hope you're asleep, but I got one more thing to close out tonight, and then we'll move on. I mean, we won't. You'll be asleep, and the episode will be over. Okay, I'm just going to settle in for my nightly prayers here. In the name of the seven, uh, but mostly the crone and the smith and the miller, who no one prays but me, prays to me here the eighth. Eighth Miller, but really you're in the top, top, top three. Uh, Crone, I'm, I'm trying to calm down about the whole thing about you knowing my fate and not letting me know. And uh, kind of, I don't want to hand you guys any ultimatums, Crone, Smith, Miller. Especially since Miller, you're kind of just my God. But you know, there's like this this I was watching and there's like this tree god, the one of the old gods, uh bark bark tree bark or something. And you can make your hand turn to fire and can be inside of wolves and birds and there's a raven. So I don't know, I, I hate to put a put up a put up a shut up to you gods, but uh I'm gonna try something new tonight and that'll be it. Like I'm gonna give you guys a chance. And to, uh, you know, should prove me. I know that you're not supposed to ask God to prove stuff, but I'm like a willful uh, rebellious. 
person, so you can smoke me, but I don't think you two are in any business to smoke. If you want some help uh, with against the, you know, becoming the top two plus the Miller, who's my, um, I'm willing to help. And then this time I'm going to pray for something other than me and my stuff. Because someone told me if I just do selfish stuff, you're never going to help me out. So if you could help out um, uh, some other people first, that'd be great. Some other sweet crone, wisest in knowing of the fate, Smith uh, and Miller. Uh, Crone, I need to pray for your wisdom and your bravery and protect the fate of these men I'm about to talk about. Smith, I need to give them strength and safety and equipment and bravery and stoutness of heart. Miller, I need you to keep them well-fed and nutrients, get them good sleep. Um, Because I know George R. R. Martin's a fan of the Jets, and he's a big Jets fan, so I'm going to pray for the Jets' 2014 current roster. Miller, Crone, Smith, please help um, these men achieve... uh, Super Bowl for George R. R. Martin. You got Abdul Shade from Virginia, Alan Antonio, South Carolina, Jason Morrow, tight end, Texas Tech, Colin Anderson, tight end from Furman, Antoine Barnes, linebacker from Florida International, TJ Barnes, DT from Georgia Tech, Nick Bellora, Central Michigan, Tommy Bohannon. Dodge Boy, Josh Bush, Michael Campbell, William Campbell, Smith Crone, Miller, please. Willie Cologne from Hofstra. He's a local boy. Come on. Quentin Copples, North Carolina. Jeff Cumberland, Illinois. Jermaine Cunningham, Florida. Demario Davis from Arkansas State. Come on. Razorback, I think. Troy Davis from Central Florida, linebacker. Eric Decker. Eric Decker, come on. Eric Decker's a nice guy, wide receiver. Former Bronco. Steele DeVito from Boston College. Brandon Dixon. Ledger Dozable. Ross I. Dowling. Dakota Dozier. I mean, come on, Dakota Dozier crone. He's an up. O.T. from Furman, A.J. Ads from Iowa, Kent, Kendrick Ellis, I.K. and Kampali, Quincy and Nua, Shaq Evans, DeBrickshaw Ferguson, Davita Finau, Nick Folk, Jacoby Ford, former Raider, Patrick Ford, Dalton Freeman, Tim Fugger, Tim Bugger Crone. He could be at your side. You could say, you know, Smith, you could say you've armed Tim Fugger. Got him a Super Bowl. Andrew Fernie. Clyde Gates. Jeremiah George. Brad Giacomi. Anthony Grady. Alex Green. Salim Akeem. Brandon Harden. David Harris. Damon Harrison. Stephen Hill. Gary Hader. Ben Elijah. Chris Ivory. Remember Chris Ivory? He's at New Orleans. Jaquan Jarrett. Chris Johnson. Jeremy Curley. Jeremy Curley. Dewan Landry. Alice Lancaster. 
Nick Manigold, Dexter McDougal, Garrett McIntyre, Ron Tess Miles, Terrence Miller from Arizona, tight end, D. Milner, quarterback from Alabama, David Nelson, Calvin Pace, Chris Pontale, come on, Johnny Patrick, two first names, grown. he could be Edgar, Dimitri Patterson, you could be the first old gods to have a Super Bowl team. Bilal Paolo, Paul, Bilal Paolo, Paul, Calvin Pryor, Tanner Purdom, Ryan Quigley, Brett Quayle, Jeremy Reeves, Trevor Riley, Daryl Richardson, Sheldon Richardson, Lowell Rose, Greg Salas, J- Jalen Saunders, Caleb Shonderoff. Caleb could be serving the three of you. You'd be fr- you'd have the foothold in the NFL of all the th- seven gods. That, that should be eight. That should only be three. Matt Sims, Geno Smith, Zach Suffield, Zach Thompson, Michael Vick, Darren Walls, Muhammad Wilkerson, Kyle Wilson, Brian Winters, Chad Young, and Marcus Zukovics. So that's it. That's the Jets 2014 summer roster. I'm praying for them, not for myself, and all the stuff I need and want to serve the three of you and threat of going to the old gods. But I won't. If you give George R. R. Martin his Super Bowl, I will burn three candles nightly uh, for every Jets win. I I will you will lift up my heart to the highest plane of Westeros praise. So that's it. I'm not praying for myself. I don't I don't need anything from you guys. I'm just telling you how it's gonna be. You either help the Jets or I move on to other gods. But yeah, I'm not not in an aggressive way. I'm just trying to be honest with you, Miller, Smith, Miller. No one's praising you but me. Smith and Crone, you guys are on the bottom of everyone's list. Especially you, Smith. The warrior kind of usurps your, steals your rhythm. But I don't want anything to do with those warrior. The rest of them think they're hot stuff. Okay? So, if Crone, if you would let me know, if you really do know everything that's going to happen to me, I could, you'll be handy. But you don't have to let me know now. Just help the Jets. J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Okay? Thanks. And that's it. That's all I got to say. I'm just, you know, just helping others. I got to get my, I'm just, just here to help others. Chrome, Miller, Smith, good night.